1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Working Overtime, Working's bi-weekly, advice-focused serum to Working's moisturizer. I'm your host, Karen Hahn.
0: And I'm your other host, Isaac Butler.
1: Hey, Isaac, how you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. You know, it's funny, you said serum. I thought that this was going in like a Captain America direction, not in a... facial well, skincare what
1: this direction. tells me is that you don't use a serum as part of your skincare routine I don't
0: I don't and now I'm old enough that I'm start. you know like every time I look at my face in the mirror I'm like it's getting a little puffier and a little redder every day I should have used a serum 20 years ago
1: <laughs> it's never too late to start
0: that's true that's true since we can't go back in time to fix my skin what should we be talking about today
1: Okay, so what I want to talk about today is money. We end up talking about money kind of a lot on working because it is, for the vast majority of us, kind of an unavoidable factor in the decisions we make about our creative output. So why don't we talk about it a little more? To start with, let's talk about figuring out what your rate is. There was definitely a pretty long stretch of time when I just took what I was offered, partially because I had the luxury to do so, as I had a day job when I first started writing, and partially because I didn't know any better, and also didn't feel like I could ask for more as someone pretty green in the field. Can you tell me about your experiences figuring out rates early on?
0: Yeah, I don't think it was all that different from yours, to be honest, yeah. Karen. You know, um, early on, my experience was one of gratitude. You know, when you're first Starting out, you're just like, I can't believe anyone wants my work. I'm so grateful to you. Sure, I'll do it for $50 or, you know, whatever it was. (laughs) Early on in my career, you know, the money I made from writing was like copywriting and copy editing for think tanks. It was not, you know, freelance arts journalism and criticism. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're really starting out and an editor says, This is the rate, it's hard not to be intimidated by that. Like, it just sounds inflexible, you know, like a supercomputer has handed down what the rate is or something <laughs> and it took me a, I don't know a couple of years to realize oh that's not the case you actually can ask for more
1: yeah part of the problem is like your editor is inherently an authority figure and talking back in yeah. literally anyway is kind of something that's intimidating which we've we've talked about before on the show too where it's like how do you push back on your editor when like ostensibly they should know what's best for you and also for the publication it's it's tough to do So with that beginning mindset in mind, how did you end up setting a floor or average rate for yourself moving forward?
0: Oh, you know, it took a really long time. Honestly, I just kind yeah. of had it in my head. Oh, freelancing rates suck, and there's nothing that can be done about it. And so, you know, time to make my money through teaching and you know other stuff. And it yeah. is true that freelance rates suck. You know, it's not like they were magically keeping it a secret that there are good freelancing rates out there. It's it's a hard job. But after the first book that I wrote, the world only spins forward. Uh, which I wrote with Dan, you know, I just realized that it wasn't really the case that the amount of money I was being offered was the only option. And I Mm. also realized the other thing that was important is I realized that writing books was what I actually wanted to do. And so if I was freelancing, it either had to be something I really wanted to do or the rate had to be above a certain level because I had to justify taking that time off from working on the other parts of my career that I was also excited about. And that was a big shift because early On in my freelancing career, I thought I was kind of paying my dues towards being a columnist or maybe like a staff writer, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere like that's what I thought I was headed towards. And after the world only spins forward, I realized that's actually not what I wanted to do. So while those activities sort of looked the same freelance writing and teaching and writing books and having a podcast, you know, the priority of those things and how they worked in the mix that changed. And that gave me a little more freedom because I was suddenly willing to turn stuff down.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I think the tough part of the answer, though, is is it sort of comes back to like my saying, like, I had a day job so I could take like lower rates or stuff like that, because it it kind of relies on knowing that this isn't what you want to do. And in the case that it is, like, it's it, it feels harder to negotiate and also to say no to things, because if you don't like you worry, what if I ruin my relationship with this editor? Like, also, mm-hmm. don't worry, like that that won't be the case if you're not actually interested in what they want you to do, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, like the realization that I could set a floor or that I was going to set a floor rate for my work came kind of more practically, like it didn't come with a shift in what I wanted to do in careers, like it just came with getting enough assignments that I saw kind of what a common rate was for most publications and going off of that figure. And if I was offered something lower, like being able to say like, hey, like I normally get paid X amount for the work that you're asking me to do right now for Y amount. Can we settle on something that's closer in the middle or would you be able to match that price? Which brings me to my next topic, which is how experience leads to the ability to negotiate. Like both in terms of sort of like what you're saying where you're like you have – I don't know how valid this idea is, like, but you've paid your dues, like, in this field so you can ask for more. Or, as I'm sort of saying, like, you you just have done enough that you know, like, actually, this is what's common and this low number is an irregularity. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with that conversation right after this. Hey listeners, is there a particular creative struggle that you'd like to hear us tackle? Let us know by emailing us at workingatslate.com or even better, you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-W-O-R-K. So before we really jump into negotiating, there's one more money question that's necessary to ask, which is, how do you ask how much you're going to get paid? Because some editors will tell you upfront, but sometimes it just won't come up in your email conversation the way that you would want it to. What do you do in that situation? Because it's definitely not just do the assignment and hope for the best.
0: Yeah, it is not. uh, Although, (laughs) Now that you say that, it leads me to believe that maybe you, like I, have been in that position before.
1: No, luckily, I got far enough, like, basically right before they would say, like, okay, go off and do this now that we've discussed what it is. Like, I have always asked how much I'm getting paid.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, before I actually get into it, though, I do want to say... It's in everyone's best interest for editors to disclose the rate at the beginning of the process. Like, and a lot of editors get shy about that or whatever, they just forget to. And like, money is hard to talk about, but it is their job to bring that up at the beginning. And if they don't, you as the freelancer or artist or whatever should ask, of course. I actually wound up pulling a piece once because they were asking me for like a third major rewrite. And in the process of that, I discovered that I was only going to be paid $250 for it. And like, yeah, I totally should have asked at the beginning, but I shouldn't have had to ask at all, really. Anyway, and that end result, which is me pulling the piece, them not having the piece, us all having wasted a couple of weeks on it. Like that doesn't help them. That doesn't help me. That doesn't help anyone. And it was actually Mm -hmm. after that terrible experience with a legacy media outlet that shall remain nameless that I started asking because, you know, like there is a difference in how much work anyone should do for $1,000 versus $300.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But for now, let's say that the rate that they name for you isn't one that you're happy with, because that's when the need to negotiate kicks in. At what point do you decide you want to push back rather than just taking it? And how do you ask nicely?
0: So... That's a great question. I think this is a collaborative relationship, right? Between you and the editor, Mm -hmm. you and the, you know, if you're doing a piece of visual art, whoever commissioned it or whatever. And so as with all collaborative relationships it's helpful to just focus on what the work itself needs that it's easier to just keep the emotional temperature a little bit lower and so i usually try to phrase it in terms of workload and time you're asking me to do x thing it's going to take y amount of work and the z amount of dollars you're offering is not really enough you know, and to try to talk about it in those terms. And the reason why that's also helpful is that it may turn out once you do that, that the editor says, oh, actually, you know, what if you did this version of it that's a lot less work for this amount of money? You know, like Mm -hmm. you don't actually have to interview these Mm -hmm. three people. What if you didn't interview these three people? What if you instead talked about this? You know, and you might be able to work something else out. That I think is a lot better because it leaves some more doors open some more options available whereas if you're Mm -hmm. just like five hundred dollars or nothing um that's like an end of a conversation (laughs) you know it's like as in all collaborative relationships you only really want to go to the ultimatum as a last resort
1: yeah what do you do well again i think it comes down a lot to kind of figuring out what you're willing to do for how much because you can literally say like again like i'm usually paid x amount to do y work as you're negotiating hand just say like this is the rate that i'm used to like i would appreciate like either matching this or coming closer to it but it's sort of similar to what you were saying where like if a piece requires you to kind of go out and do more work for instance especially interviewing like that will cost more money like that just requires more effort and time and therefore you should get paid more for it and so like i think it's also helpful to say like hey like i'm usually paid x to do the y work but like we can work together to find a z that's closer to what i would be willing to take this pay for but what i'm also curious about is when do you decide to just take an assignment anyway like have you ever turned an assignment down because the pay just wasn't there.
0: Oh, I I have definitely done that, but that's only been in situations where I was reached out to by the outlet. Yeah. Look, just because you've pitched a piece doesn't mean that you have to take whatever dog shit they send you. Do you know? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like like that. That's not actually the case, right? But it is the case maybe that like before I pitch an outlet, I've thought pretty hard about that outlet. I haven't just done it blindly and I have some Mm -hmm. idea of what they'll pay. That's probably the real reason. Whereas sometimes like a lit mag, you know, says, Hey, we'd love to have something from you. You know, we can only pay this. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I'd love to I actually have this piece that I've been kind of wanting to write that is sort of weird and not pitchable. And I'm just going to think it through and, you know, we'll do it and that's fine. And sometimes it's, it's like, Hey, I'd love to help out, but I really actually don't have the time you know and it just it just really depends on on when it is and where it is and you know whether i sometimes you have a piece lying around you know what i mean mm-hmm. that you've written under some other context or or whatever but no in 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 general if i've pitched a place i'm not going to wind up pulling the piece b- before writing it because the rate didn't turn out to be good because i usually have some sense of what they'll pay in advance
1: yeah i i mean i think that's fair because like I definitely haven't said no to a rate after I pitched something, but I feel like that's, for me, it was partially because I was like, well, like, technically, like, it, it's the onus is a little bit more on you because you have pitched them something and they've accepted it rather than then coming to you with something, as you were saying. But at the same time, the situation just makes it harder to say no, even if you want to, because I definitely have been in that situation where, like, I pitched an outlet, I got quoted a number... Because I didn't know what they paid beforehand, because transparency on these things is pretty low, generally speaking. Like, I pitched. A pretty big outlet for a piece they quoted me something kind of ridiculously low and i said oh like can we go any higher and i got 50 more bucks which is nice that i got paid more than they initially quoted me but i still wasn't really happy about it i guess in that sense i don't really have any good actionable advice because <laughs> other than if you have the willpower to say no like please do that because sometimes it really isn't worth the time Anyway, we will be back with our final thoughts on getting
2: paid after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Listeners, I just want to remind you that if you're enjoying working overtime, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would love for you to rate or review the show because it really does help new listeners to find us. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit the star to recommend the episode to others. All right, so here is a complicating factor when it comes to pay. Of course, the notion of payment in exposure is total bullshit. But I have definitely taken lower pay for the sake of getting my work published in a higher profile publication. Has this ever happened to you?
0: sort of, I mean, uh, this is what I'll say. I think at the very beginning of your career, it's highly unlikely that you will be paid what you're worth. And, you know, like, I know we have complicated thoughts about paying one's dues, but I actually think at least a brief period of having to do so isn't the worst thing in the world. You know, like, I think there are, there are a lot of things you learn through the process of having to do, you know, maybe not the greatest writing assignments in the world for maybe not the greatest amount of money. You know, the, the current state of the industry is we try to extend that period for as long as humanly possible that I'm not in favor of, you know what I mean? But maybe a little bit of dues paying isn't the worst thing in the universe, but usually it's the smaller, lesser known places. I feel like that, that pay less. So usually I'm actually trying to get in a bigger name place, you know, to get paid more, Like particularly if it's like a legacy media place that also has a print outlet or whatever, like you should be Pretty well, you know, you should be pretty fairly compensated for your time, I think. So I I don't know that I've had the period where, like, I took a haircut on what I was willing to be paid for a better known That actually hasn't been my experience, but I get the sense that it's been yours.
1: Yeah, I was about to say you're very, very lucky because I absolutely have not had that experience. Like there's definitely some legacy media companies that I've worked for that I've gotten a good rate. But the most that I've ever been paid was from a kind of smaller site. I feel like if I mentioned it, you wouldn't know what it was. And it was because it had like tech money behind it. Yeah. But the problem with like the paying your dues idea, I don't know. It's like you're essentially doing the same work the whole time. So shouldn't you be paid the same amount? But at the same time, it's like... The more experience you have and the better you are at your job, obviously, the more you should be getting paid for it. But the problem, I think, in the media sphere is, as you were saying, like, there's the amount of time in which people are expected to take pennies for their work has become so long. And it's like still... Even if you are very experienced, often you're just going to be paid pennies. And it's like, this has driven out so many people that I know, like from the field. And a lot of the people that I know, like who are remaining, like have a financial safety net that has nothing to do with their work, which is like, frustrating to see because like there's so many good people out there that just don't get paid what they're worth but hopefully this episode will help you negotiate for a little (laughs) bit more I think what's also good is that there are a lot of people out there who have tried to put together like spreadsheets of known rates for publications so that if you get lowballed, you can kind of go check and see like oh like this isn't what people usually get paid for this and sort of push back be like hey like I know like this person got paid this much for similar work like I would love to that rate to some level.
0: Also, if, if one little piece of practical advice is if you know anyone who has freelanced for that in an outlet that you're pitching or that you're in conversation with, like ask them what they were paid. Yeah, you know yeah, most absolutely. freelancers will actually be fairly open about that I think most freelancers are you know it's not like I'm tweeting out my word rate or whatever but you know like <laughs> if, if you ask me like oh what did you get paid for this piece at slate like I'll t- you know if, if we're friends I'll tell you you know what I mean it's like part of supporting each other in this industry is actually being open about that stuff I think and so if if you don't have access to one of those spreadsheets but you do know someone who's written for a place you want to pitch like absolutely drop them a line and ask them about what the rate was and how negotiable it felt and things like that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Honestly, the most powerful tool that any of us really has is transparency when it comes to financial stuff like this. Like the more you're willing to talk about it, the less stigmatized it becomes and the easier it becomes to like a rising tide lifts all boats, you know? Yeah, totally. All right. So finally, what do you do when the scope of the work you're doing becomes bigger than what you initially agreed to do? We touched upon this a little where you said like you ended up Pulling a piece because the pay was so low in comparison to how much they wanted you to do about it. But when is the right time to ask for a kill fee and when do you try to negotiate for commensurate pay?
0: That's really uh, an interesting and complicated question. To go back to that first example, it wasn't only the big rewrites they were asking for, it was the sense that like that was never going to end. Do you know what I mean? There was just like no light at the end of the tunnel and it just felt like they didn't. Either they didn't know what they wanted or we were in disagreement about what the piece was that was not resolvable. Mm -hmm. And so it was just going to go back and forth like this. And so actually before I pulled it, I was like, look, I will do one more round and then we're going to copy editing or I'm pulling the piece like those are the options. Right. Like I wanted to finish the job. I wanted the byline. I wanted to know that I had done (laughs) my work. I didn't want to fuck them over. Really. I really didn't want to. And then they couldn't commit to that. And I was like, okay, And I am pulling it, you know, there's two times that I was working on things for slate that I can talk about that got much bigger than I originally thought. The first was the article length oral history of angels in America, which eventually became the book. The world only spins forward in that case, though, Dan, who's a mensch just at one point was like, this is going on for a lot longer. I've put in for you to get more money. Your rates now going to be this. He just did that preemptively. The other one was this piece I wrote about the science fiction writer, John M Ford. And that piece wound up being like an almost two year long process between when I started working on it wow. and when it was published. But until the last like month before it, appeared at slate like the, the, that last month when I was actually writing it and then we were fact checking it and it got up and all that stuff. Uh, we, I actually didn't know whether the story was ever going to run because there were some complicating extra textual factors that I actually can't discuss, but there was a, there was a world in which it might've been better for everyone involved if the article never ran. And so just like, because that process was so weird, I just like, didn't ask for more money. At some point, I probably should have, but like it just got so attenuated and bizarre that that I didn't. And I was also like well into writing the method and I was mostly focused on that. And I just took my eye off the ball of like even thinking about that. And so then I eventually got paid like what we had agreed to 18 months prior. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I probably should have asked for more money at some point. Huh. What about you? Uh, Have you ever had to do? Have you ever had to be like, it's kill fee time, baby?
1: Luckily, the kill fees that I've taken have never really been like about me. Like, for one, like, I right. there was an actor that I interviewed, and later the editor was like, Actually, we've decided that he's just like not famous enough that we really want to run this. But the one time that I can recently think of that I had to like really negotiate for more money was like, I got the assignment, I did the assignment as I understood the instructions to be, I got just handed over to another editor who was kind of like spearheading the project. And they were like, hey, actually we want this totally different thing. And I was like, okay. And I rewrote the whole piece to fit that structure. And then another editor stepped in and just totally rewrote what I had done. And then I called the original signing editor and I was like, hey, several things have happened that are really not cool. (laughs) And so I ended up getting paid more uh, for that to run. And basically I, I told her, I was like, hey, like if this... If they don't like respect my voice and like it does seem to me like this is just him like writing my piece for me, like I don't want my name on it and I don't want it to go up. And so we ended up coming to a compromise where I got paid a little more and I sort of compromised on what the piece turned out to be. But it was not a happy experience. It's never like. It's not the way that you want things to turn out, but that wasn't because of the money, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, a thing that's tough that you have to watch out for, I think, is when an editor who does not write under their own byline, right? So an editor who's not also a, yeah. a writer commissions or green lights a piece. And then like, sometimes in that process, it becomes clear that actually it's like, if they were a writer, they would have written it, you know? And so like, actually yeah. what they are trying to find is someone who can say the things that they want to be, said in the piece
1: it was really bizarre because like they took some of the quotes that i would gotten and like repurposed them for a different point and I, I i changed it and he was like hey like why did you change this and i was like this literally like isn't what this person said like you can't publish this like this because it's not true
0: right yeah that's ridiculous
1: anyway our bigger point is Please do argue for more money. I think you can sort of use your common sense in terms of like what tone to take in that conversation. But like try to definitely like be open to your friends about your experiences and they will share. They'll be more willing to share with you what they know. And hopefully, again, a rising tide will lift all boats and make sure that we all get paid more, which is the
0: end goal. (laughs) Exactly. My friend, Jamie Green, who has a wonderful book coming out soon called The Possibility of Life. She has this thing where she just always asks for more money because then it's just like a policy. It's a reflex. And that actually takes the anxiety out of it a little bit. Just like whatever they offer you, just always ask for at least a little bit more. Like just make it a habit. And then it it becomes easier, which uh, I will admit that I haven't done necessarily. I don't always ask for more.
1: I, does she do that for like every assignment? For for instance, like if I was the signing editor and I was like, hey, like I'll pay you 300 bucks for this. And she's like, can I get 350? And I'd say, yeah, sure. Like that's that's fine. And then the next time I sign her the same thing, I say, here's 350 like last time. And then she asks for more than that. Like, is that what happens?
0: I, no, no, I don't think that's the case. But I think every time she's working with a anytime like it's a new place or a new editor, right, or a new rate, okay, she sure. just always tries to negotiate for more. And I just think that's really smart. I think that's really a smart way to go about it, because then it's just like, this is the thing I do. And they can always say no. And then, you know, like once yeah. you've been through that a few times, you realize they're not going to be pissed off that you asked. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they're just saying they're going to say no. And then you'll be like, fine, keep going.
1: Yeah. And it's also important to remember, like, it's not the editor's money. Like the, ed- the money is not coming out of their salary to pay you.
0: If only. <laughs>
1: No,
0: (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Editors, please. Especially ones who I might want to work with in the future, please. I was I was only kidding.
1: Alright, so hopefully that was helpful because that's all the time that we have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions you'd like us to address, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK.
0: If you'd like to support what we do, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus and you will get bonus content including exclusive episodes of Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll be supporting what we do right here on working
1: big thanks to kevin bendis and to our series producer cameron drews we'll be back on sunday with a brand new episode of working and in two weeks we'll have another working overtime until then get back to work